one and all, and welcome back to another episode of Adventuring Academy, the vodcast where we get into the nitty gritty of how to run tabletop games for you and your friends at home and all of the wonderful theory behind how we tell these collaborative stories together. I could not be more excited for our incredible guest that we have on the Adventuring Academy today. Uh, they're near and dear to my own heart. They've been working side by side on a Pirates of Leviathan, which is now airing, as well as uh, redacted, unspecified future, <laughs> uh, future seasons slash seasons of the show. Uh, you better be uh, glad I could keep a secret. <laughs> I am, all I'm gonna say. I'm very glad you keep because there's plenty of secrets to keep. Um, uh, they are uh, all over uh, uh, the world of uh, tabletop design. They've worked on so many amazing projects. Uh, they are the game designer for Mutants in the Night, a Forge in the Dark TTRPG about fighting back against a system that is rigged against you, as well as Plot Armor, a one-player TTRPG about the invincibility of your mecha anima protagonist. Uh, they are a they were a writer for the narrative-driven board game Sea of Legends, and were a designer as well for Wizards of the Coast on Dungeons and Dragons. They are our creative and sensitivity consultant for Dimension 20. Uh, you can see them streaming on Twitch. Please welcome Orion D. Black. Ah! Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's so weird hearing all that stuff. You're like, I'm sitting in my room in quarantine, just like scratching my belly and eating pizza. And you're like, <laughs> oh my God, it's Orion. I'm like, huh? huh? Excuse me. I know, the, it has never been, it's already kind of abstract to have your work living outside your body in the world, let alone, that feel. yeah, <laughs> let alone when you are truly cooped up in your living situation and then you're like, people in the outside world know of my, my name? They have heard of my works? What do you speak of? Um, Orion. A pleasure uh, to a uh, pleasure to have you on the show. We have uh, we talk a fair amount, uh, of not in, while a camera is recording, but lovely to have a recorded conversation. Um, uh, uh, I wanted to jump uh, right into it to talk about because um, uh, you came on board to the Dimension Twenty crew uh, during yes. COVID times. When we were in post for like a massive amount of media because we had been scrambling to get quarantine stuff together. So uh, a truly a like baptized by fire scenario where Orion came on and we were like, hey, here's two seasons of the show. Please help. Um, uh, and jumped right in. And I've also one of the like uh, have an incredibly like profound insight into not just tabletop, but I think also into actual play, which given that tabletop is kind of a newer medium, you know, been like less than half a century of existing on the world or about half a century of existing in the world. And at, therefore actual play for tabletop being even newer than that, we're in, I think, a very exciting time, and you are one of my favorite people to not only talk to you about, but honestly, just like listen to expound on what the future of this medium is. Um, I wanted to just open up the the platform, so to speak, for you to talk about like where you think actual play has been, where it is right now, and where you think it's going. I have a lot of feelings <laughs> on this particular topic. Um, it's a, it's a tough place. I'll, I'll say that first, because um, 
we still live in the wild west of an internet age. Not the, you know, 1990s where it's like, oh no, like, you got gifts now or whatever. Like, you know, nothing so spectacular that it breaks open the universe. But in the con- confines of entertainment on the internet, uh, things have changed so dramatically. Like, I... I personally, like, I do some streaming. I've been on some shows, you know, here and there. Like, honestly, it's such a common thing now. Like, a couple people, oh, yeah, I, like, you know, was on this or on that. Um, that uh, the way that we put that forward or that we put it forward before business really comes down to, like, what we're doing now, you know? Like, we're having a casual conversation. That's, you know, podcasts definitely were the the precursor to, like, actual play with video and all that kind of stuff. And so it developed in that way, and I think that even podcasts get a lot of their feel and vibe from not only radio, but from tabletop. People who have that experience, which is fairly common, uh, you know how to talk to people, how to narrate a story, how to bring in characters, all that sort of stuff. You know, GMing is a skill that in the game, you know, has a particular set of functions and designs, but it's also like being a master of conversation, you know? So when you pull those things together and you have actual play, which is now like you're on video, um, you have a game that is physical, but then people have to start converting it to digital. You have to find platforms that work. You have to learn all these new things. Uh, a lot of the people who are, let's start with like the ground level, who are independent, just play some games or have made a game or two, and they get on something like Twitch. And the way that people present actual play comes from this very this place of... Uh, natural expression so it's like i said conversational it's it's sharing what's inside of our house it's watching it's like critical role you're like oh i'm watching a bunch of friends do their thing that's the vibe that's the thing that i'm getting out of this uh but actual play uh really hits people in that special spot and i think it's especially powerful right now because everyone's so separated from each other um and so I'm thankful for that. I'm glad that a lot of games get to be on display and everything. Um, the present is a very interesting time. Mm. <laughs> yeah, actually, now that you mention it, it does seem like a very interesting... Yes, yes, I agree. I agree you might not have a... been picking up on it. Let me put you on right now. Uh, yeah. When it comes to the future of things... I get really excited. Like it's one of the reasons that I'm I'm working with y'all in the first place is because uh, y'all formulate exactly what I want to see happening in much smaller spaces. I want to see companies who are picking up uh, actual plays and turning them into shows. And to me, like actual play is a show. I am defining a show by what you expect on TV, you know, and that comes with a lot of parameters that that. Uh, when you're coming from a space and you have no background in it, that is, we're all playing together in a room and we're just going to put cameras up and, you know, have nice microphones and cameras. That's one thing. And then there's a show, which is, there's a production team, there are angles, there's graphics, there are editors, there are sensitivity people, there are writers, producers, 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 executive producers, other, like, down the line forever. And that has a lot of different kind of impact. And 
I feel like both of these camps are sort of afraid of each other, you know? Um, they're both thriving in their own ways right now, but there's this fear where it's like, well, if we, actual play, started framing our show like a, like a TV show, where we started cutting things up and putting up graphics and going at angles and all that sort of stuff, much more than they are now, does that lose like the heart and soul of what we're doing? And then there are people with all the money going, can this make me money? <laughs> that's what I care about. That's it. And they see it like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't see anything. Like nothing spectacular, absolutely huge is blaring me in the face. Even the fact that we have Dimension 20 and Critical Role which are extremely popular, more popular than any tabletop anything has ever been uh, when it comes to shows. Those still are just small blips on the radar of the larger uh, entertainment industry. But this is where I get into what I like so much. Um, the examples of the range and the possibility that both, both of these parties can actually meet in the middle and have an amazing time that people enjoy. You get what you want out of the, we're sharing this experience with these people who are having this sort of intimate conversation that's uh, adjusted in a way to where other people can enjoy it in a non-intrusive way. It's a very sharing community thing. Uh, and the businesses can make their money, you know? That's what they care about, you just gotta do it. Uh, that is so... Well, it, well, first of all, immediately upon you putting forward this idea of this this spectrum that these shows exist on, from on the sort of one end, like to what degree is our weather vane kind of pointing towards, we are faithfully recreating the magic that we felt at our table playing these tabletop games, versus what are the considerations that we have as entertainers, right? What's mm -hmm. so wild is I can think immediately of shows that are on different ends of that spectrum that I love. And it's very interesting to think about like the, the secret sauce that makes something work for one reason or another. And it also makes you, me wonder as a creator, like how much of my instincts are actually me being on the money about what works and how much, how many of them are just like, you have that instinct and it's neither helping nor hurting. It's just something, <laughs> it's just a vibe you kind of feel, right? But to your point, the, like mm -hmm. I, I have friends that make, the, and these are all like what I would consider successful actual plays. I have people that do successful actual plays, meaning they have an audience, they have people engaging, they're, they're able to support themselves with their art. I have people who are like, this is sacrosanct. We would never want to, like people come here because of the genuineness of how we have left our game unaltered. And then I have friends who are very much like, hey, we're here making a podcast. And at any point that the game the game system starts to interfere with that, it's gone, baby. We're not letting a, a, a polyhedron tell us how to make a show. Mm -hmm. What's bizarre is I think there's a lot of, and I know this is very much like a cop-out, like, why can't we all get along? <laughs> but like, there's very- There are gray areas in life, Brennan. <laughs> <laughs> There very much are successful examples of both of these, um, but so so the, the part of me that veers towards the like, can we have our cake and eat it too? One of the things that I often think of about the genesis of Dimension Twenty is that we started out as 
a, a college humor show, right? That we we didn't start we didn't start out in the gaming space at all. And I feel like honestly, it was a little bit of a chunk of time before the gaming space was like, who are the the wait the the, the, the Jake and Amir people are playing D and D? I was watching it happen. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, oh, this show is great. They don't know each other exists. Like, <laughs> it was like, when are these two gonna run into each other in the hallway? Like, how's really? that gonna go down? Well, it was super wild. But what ended up happening is what I saw that was very interesting was college humor tapped into something about the internet and the relationships that that like YouTube creators and people form with their fan base of like what it what is the through line through all of college humor's 14 year history or whatever it is the hardly working it's the vibe of our sketches take place in the office where we're writing our sketches mm-hmm. and something about dimension 20 I do think that one of the things people love about actual play media is as you are consuming a story about Riz and Fig and Fabian and Gorgug and Adine and Kristen, you're also consuming a story about Ali, Siobhan, Emily, Murph, Lou, and Zach, right? Um, and you're, it, it is this weird alpha beta wave thing where th- there is something deeply satisfying about I'm watching a reality show about my players that I like while I'm consuming a story very actively about characters that I love and, and want to see succeed. Um, that, so I think there's something very interesting in that um, uh with, uh, about real about like you are doing a reality show while you are improvising a a work of epic storytelling, right? Yes, uh, it's it's something that only people with a very specific set of skills, you know, can kind of walk into. It's just sort of the happenstance of sort of how we grew up, you know, the intersecting things that were all happening at the time. Um, yeah, there's. There's that spectrum, and you said, you know, like, the whole can you have your cake and eat it too thing, and I always see it as, like, there's, like, a list of, like, 20 things that each side wants or needs to happen, and you have to go in each one of those times, can I have this, like, bite of cake? Yes or no? Can I go without this one so I can maybe have that one? That was chocolate, this is vanilla, I'll take the chocolate, you know? Like, it's that that weighing game of back and forth. Um, I feel like there's a lot of absolutes that people have around how things have to happen or what it means if you are all the way on one side or all the way on another in this particular spectrum. And there are so many different levels to it. Um, The accessibility on the entertainment side is way, way harder to break into. Uh, So I feel like, you know, that's one of the aspects that can make it even more intimidating for anyone in indie to go, oh, can I even crack into there? Do I want to? Am I going to have to give away everything that makes me creative? Are we going to have to uh, rewrite all these characters? Do we have to take this out or take that out? And uh, one of the reasons that I'm glad that that these bigger shows with... uh, you know, funding and studios behind them are showing that that's not true. 
not to a full extent. There's always going to be compromises that you have to make because business. But there's so much of uh, the people who are who are GMing, who are playing, making decisions because it's happening in the moment. You know, like because it's we're making this choice right now. We're not having to talk about whether my character is about to uh, meet their long lost sister or not with the VP of the company. No, like you're still like always making that decision right there. Um, and if there isn't an opportunity to do that, if you are being like clinched and held down, that's just not the place to be, you know? Like, right. There is a, a way of having to honor the improvised nature. And again, I think that like, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those things of, what is drawing people to your medium in the first place? Like, why would someone, why would you come and watch a story improvised over two and a half hours when you could watch a story that had been polished by experts and focused down into X amount of minutes and this kind of thing? Why would you? And some of this, I think some of the things about actual play are, well, yes, you could go watch a story that's more polished than this. Like, you're watching mm -hmm. our first draft. However, when you watch that other story, the storytellers knew what was going to happen the whole time. And when you watch us, we don't like think about what you're saying, especially with those business decisions. Like we need to check in with the VP of sales about if this can happen or not. I go back to sophomore year when we were having our live streamed Dimension 20 season yeah. where Lou Wilson just just went off the rails and was going to get Fabian Aramea's Seacaster, this beloved PC, was gonna get him killed. He just lost it. And he started laughing like this maniacal <laughs> Joker laugh. And Allie Beardsley turned and they said, you're, are you laughing because you're about to get Fabian killed? And it was like a unilateral, like one of our performer creators without checking with the company is going to get a dude killed who's on our merch, like in, like in the key art. So God, that, Lou. <laughs> Shout outs to Lou Wilson. Shout outs to Lou Wilson. I like always. that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that guy. It was, it was, it, it, but that's the thing is it was intoxicating. You could feel it at the table where, uh -huh. where you really get that feeling. It's the feeling you get, I guess, like out of murder mystery or a haunted house or anything that is truly interactive where you're like, actually, I am going to lift the velvet rope and go where I'm not supposed to go because that's the premise of why I came here rather than a piece of passively consumed media. Um, and you I think to interact that, with people as they're experiencing it with you. You know, yes. you're not just watching a thing alone. You're like, you watch a show, you like kind of focus into the world that's going on, but you're not included nearly as much. There's a level to it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think, honestly, you know, it gets a little deep, but like I like to think about the psychology of why we share with each other in these ways, in these ways that are communal, because we're communal species who are, extremely divided and now we use the internet to talk to each other quite a bit it doesn't fully eliminate you know being outside and being with people right now it kind of does uh, <laughs> but there's this communal aspect to it that when someone is reacting along with you when it's not just like oh you know this is going to play out you don't know what that person's going to do if you enjoy the people if you like them if you like how they react and the choices that they make when uh lou makes a decision and Allie gasps, and you gasped as well. 
It's like, <gasps> you know, <laughs> yes, well, that's exactly, right? like that's what's, but that's the thing is there's so much of why so many of big streaming services, what people are watching are like reality shows. You go online and watch reaction videos. And these are things I feel like if you had to time travel back 30 years and explain, someone would be like, why would anyone watch a reaction video? And then you watch one and you're like, how many of these can I watch before my eyes like burst blood vessels? They're intoxicating because you, because you find this direct commonality. And I think that there is something really this beautiful helix with an actual play of like of like you get all of the feeling of the deep fulfillment of storytelling because yes there's a lot of like quick hit videos that are great to watch and give you that serotonin rush right away but if you watch it for a whole day you walk out being like what did i do with my day which is not a feeling you get if you watch like a piece of epic storytelling that can like affect you emotionally and prompt catharsis but on the short term when uh, when a nat 20 gets hit, you and the seven people at the table couldn't have known that was going to happen. You get a seven person reaction video from the people that are theoretically in charge. Serotonin, and, like, baby. <laughs> Just shoot that shit right in there, you know? It's so, what, what can feel better than when you get the exact number you needed to get? And that's something that is shared so intimately between viewer and the creators. It's very, like you, if, again, if you're watching a piece of prestige, tell you're watching, I don't know, Breaking Bad, you don't get to see a cut to Vince Gilligan in the chair going, woo, great job. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hype, yeah. <laughs> if he said, I am the danger. And then you pan over and everyone's like, God damn, that was good. And then you stand back. Oh my God. Yeah, that was what incredible. You're so me? good at this, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's like, you're goddamn right I am. <laughs> right. So it's like that. I, I feel like those are the kinds of things that you, you do want to emphasize. So it is this weird thing where on the ends of the spectrum, I think that we, we you can point at, I think, what the likeliest pitfalls are if you are creating actual play media, which I'm glad we're having this conversation because we talk so much on the show about gaming and stuff, but I feel like in a renaissance of people, I want people to watch this show. If you have a great game, I want you to release that because again, there are so many of the barriers to entry that have been lowered. If you can grab some mics and some content, like you can make this stuff. And looking at the pitfalls on, on either side of that, right? What I see people fall into that go to that, that element of um, all it needs to be is a faithful recreation of our game, right? We've talked about it in the Dimension 20 cast before about things that we love to do in home games that we know wouldn't work on stream, right? Yeah. We had a, we had like a cabin weekend because I've been playing D and D with a bunch of the Dimension Twenty people prior to even making the show together. Right. We're like we had a weekend. This was back in like three point five D and D. The crunch was so deep and powerful that we spent an entire one of our very limited like two and a half days together, uh -huh. just deep diving into item creation feats and people making custom magic items for themselves. You're taking like, me back right now. <laughs> I was 15 years old. <laughs> I very... liked a girl, so I played D&D &D with her. <laughs> I did. You know, here's the thing, real quick. 
My first role was in that 20. For real? Yep. Oh, what I liked a... the girl. She was like, hey, let's go play d and I was like, okay, whatever. You're really cute. Uh, and then uh, I was supposed to scale a wall, and I rolled it, and it was in that 20. And she freaked out. And I was like, just like <laughs> you just, like, leap over that wall. And I was like, that's cool. <laughs> this is interesting to me. You're still cute. This is just very cool. We can have both. <laughs> there you go, exactly. Uh, yeah, porque lo no estos. Um, uh, the, uh, there's, there's an incredible thing, too, there that, that by the way, segue, uh, uh, what was your, because I want, because I love talking about actual plan, I want to come back to this eventually, but I also want to talk a little bit about your life in tabletop in general. Like, so you were, so 15, crush on a girl, first roles in that 20, is that oh, yeah. your, so that's wild. That's so okay. my villain origin story, yes. <laughs> and now I will crush this planet with my iron fist. Fear Doctor Doom. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, I think that's that's so. So here's what I was want to posit to you. Like from that initial seed, what was the expansion out into tabletop like? And um, uh, and also this thing that I want to talk about as well because. We've had a lot of awesome guests on the show who have tremendous background in tabletop, but usually like more game specific, right? Often just D&D or maybe D&D and like World of Darkness. As someone who not only has designed indie games, but also has like a wealth of play experience in these games, I want to get like real academic about it and be like, what is tabletop? What is this activity at the core? <laughs> That's a lovely question, Brennan. <laughs> Thank you. What is art? Yeah, but like, <laughs> mm, a real, a real like beard stroking moment. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, like personal biography, like following that nat twenty. What was your entry into the gaming space like? And looking at the sort of wealth of gaming and design experience you have, like what is it we're all chasing at these tables together? Well, you were just like, what is the meaning of life, table domination? Uh, <laughs> well, you see, we're all one with the universe. Uh, so when I was, okay, I was 15, uh, I, I played this girl. The room that we were in was uh, a room of science teacher. The science teacher was amazing, is amazing. She's a great person. And uh, she had, she has three sons. Uh, one of them was like a year older than me and one was a year younger than me. So I ended up going to school with both of them and I, I met them uh, through this person. And they lived two blocks away from the high school. I was the kid who didn't go home until I had to. So everybody hung out at their house. It was one of those those places where the parents were like, you seem cool. Come on in. Uh, they were nerds growing up, and that made it a really safe space for other nerds who wanted to come and hang out. And they would feed us, and we'd watch Akira Kurosawa movies, and just everybody would hang out. Great times. When we were playing at the table, I remember like 3.5, about 3.0, 3.5 is when I was playing. Uh, and the thing in there that I saw when you you had those times where a whole day was people making characters, figuring out spells, making items and all that sort of stuff. Every person at that table, we, we would play with groups of like seven or eights. Ridiculous. 
every person was creating something that they wanted. And it was so different. Like, I noticed that early on. There was this one person who was like, I want to be a lion and a shaman and, like, all this stuff. And this other person was like, I want to be an evil fucking sorcerer. Like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, like, mess with you guys this whole time. And someone else is like, oh, yes, I'm going to be, uh, like, a proper elf or whatever. Like, the dad usually was like, oh, I'm old school <laughs> elf of the 70s, you know. <laughs> and everybody was getting something different out of it. And I, it was just it was just so easy to see. And then as time went on, like, that's kind of what it is to start. That's something that's really cool. But what really makes it hit, what really makes TRPG so special is that you propose, you create this, this like, person or story, whatever it is that you want, and then you have a conversation inside of it. And the conversation is framed by how the game is designed, what you want to talk about, what you want to interact with, what you want to feel. And that's a really intimate thing to do. I feel like that's why, you know, people get super mad or start crying or we laugh and have a great time because you're trying to emulate something that you want. It's a desire that you're playing out a fantasy, like regardless of what kind of fantasy it is. So, and especially I know that uh, a lot of queer people have found out that they were gay, a different gender, whatever it is, because they were playing and they were like, yeah, I've been playing this character who's this gender for 10 years. And for some reason, I just can't get, I just, I feel. And then someone's like, you, that's you, that's you. <laughs> They're like, well, I love tabletop gaming. My name is John. Like, you know, like, have a blast. Um, it's a place where we can experiment with our desires, where we can, uh, if someone, like, in the real world, where can you go and be violent, you know, in a way that doesn't hurt anybody, right? You can join a boxing gym, which not everybody can, or you can <laughs> be like, I am a barbarian, you know? How many, like, tiny and literally, like, small girls and women decide to go, I'm this big, badass barbarian, how many times does a person of color go, this is a world that isn't racist? How many times does some like nerd go like, I'm gonna be super smart in this and everyone's gonna like me because of it, you know? Like everyone just takes what they want and they put it into it and then everyone honors each other. Being like, well, we're working together to while we're achieving our fantasy, we just have this goal. It doesn't matter what it is. It just facilitates the spaces where we can be awesome, where we can lose things together and gain new things together and just have a conversation about what we want out of ourselves, what we want out of other people, out of our communities, out of our relationships and different game systems. Let me pause right here. This is why you should really play a bunch of systems. Different game systems are formulated specifically to allow you to have in safe and very easy ways to have particular kinds of conversation. You had mentioned Mutants in the Night, the game that I made. I made that game with one thing in mind, and it was to make a space where initially I was like, I want to make a game that black people will really like, and it'll just vibe with them. Because there are games everyone can enjoy any type of game, you know, whatever you like, but I want to make a specific thing because has that happened? I don't know. I don't see it. I'll do it. As I continued on, I saw the intersections of marginalization of all different kinds of people and within myself. 
and went, okay, this game is going to be for black people, but it's also going to resonate with literally everybody else. I'm going to make this thing that is about you choosing what your mutation is in a world that takes all mutants and puts them aside and says, you're in these confines, you are lesser than, and all sort of this stuff, because everyone has felt that way. It might not be that you have the same privileges or oppressions, but everyone has felt that way. And so giving everyone a space where it's like, here is my mutation that reflects how I interact with this thing of society. The thing that when I put that out there, I feel like people treat me bad for it. And then I went, hey, you have powers now. You are the thing that people don't like about you. And you have the power to change the world around you because you are that thing. And then setting it up so that the community and helping the community is the basis of how you get to do that while having a positive effect on, it doesn't go, you can change the world and fix everything. It goes, here's what you can do in your life in a size that you can recognize. And that is extremely specific. <laughs> like That game is about that. I, I go, hey, you wanna play that? that right there have you ever felt like an x-men you're like i feel like shit gene gray get to hang out over with professor x and laser eyes i want to do that like you can do that right like but other games do other things and like you can explore that and like find out what you want like really it took me like two months really thinking like what is my fantasy what is my fantasy find out what you want and there's something for it and if there isn't you can make it it's you literally can't i can I'll send out the resources. I'll throw paper at you. Links. Yes. First of all, we should, we need to get links to all of these mutants in the night. And I, I just want I want that clip of your of what you just said. We should clip that out and make that its own thing that we can share because that is that is so yeah special. What you said is so beautifully put, and it is damn yeah. It's it's. <laughs> I don't know. You're the right now. <laughs> I'm just in my head, just thinking about like, yeah, like what, what, what couldn't be intoxicating? It's very fun. I, I think about it all the time because people will ask me like, oh, brother, now that D and D and tabletop is your job, you must not want to play anymore, huh? And I'm like, ha, ha, yes, it would be weird if I still used all my free time working on my home game. Ha ha ha. Fuck, like that moment of. Like no, I all I want to do is play these games. I I played for the first time when I was a kid, and it was like, oh, this is this is it. The, in in terms of that realization of, well, okay, I'm I'm like struggling for words because it's such a large concept and it's so well. I'm also just very like I moved because it I, I it, every once in a while it's good to remind yourself that at the core of this hobby and the hobby writ largely of like people getting together and telling stories collaboratively is this beautiful thing of like what if we all sat around and spent a couple hours honoring each other's ambitions and fantasies and dreams and desires how deeply good how wonderful and a loving act to perform and powerful to give each other space to have those kinds of powerful imaginations it is just so innately Ah, intoxicating. Um, but th th there is this, um, I'm trying to think of how to put it. I worked for a long time um, uh, doing improv stuff 
with uh, uh, teaching improv and teaching sort of role playing and storytelling um, to kids at this wonderful school, the Learning Spring, which was for kids on the autism spectrum. And it was wonderful. And basically, you know, what the people who were working with him were talking about were like, these are uh, kids who, who are gaining a lot of benefit from improv, not only for the curriculums, just general like theater, you know, like right. performance and theater and creativity and yada yada. But also they were like, they were like, um, we specifically want this for socialization purposes because the stakes are so high for a lot of these kids. If they have, uh, you know, a meltdown in the wrong place or, you know, a tantrum gets thrown or they something goes not their way, like these kids experience an unfair amount of consequence for decisions that they make based on dealing with a world that is not accessible to them. And hearing that idea of like, oh, improv is helping with socialization. I, it, when I went back to teaching improv to you know, neurotypical adults at like UCB, I was like, this is exactly the same thing. It is very much socialization. I was like, mm -hmm. it, it clicked a lot of stuff for me about like, why do so many people in an improv 101 class fight? Why do they always go to fighting? And it's like, either you can look at that as like, huh, what a weird, bad artistic choice. You must not be that creative. Or you can go, how costly are screaming fights in real life in terms of yes. social consequence and ramifications? And the idea of going up on a stage and being able to look another adult in the face and be like, fuck you, buddy, <laughs> and not get fired or it feels good. And that element of socialization, and like what you're saying is like, of course people go into a fantasy realm and go like, what is it that I am able to do? It's one of the reasons that I've often never held it against people um, who try to optimize characters in whatever game system they're playing, mm -hmm. because I always go like, hey, life is hard and the fantasy of hyper-competence feels really good. like. Yeah. Like leveling up in real life is hard as hell. And the ability to like go out and do a couple fights and get some powers is deeply gratifying. Um, uh, but specifically, and again, that idea of you're saying like, what is the the fantasy or the dream that we can manifest at the table together? Um, it's so, so wonderful. Um, and I again, that idea of what tabletop is about, about like we are all, we all have dreams of who we want to be or the kind of story we want to tell, or the kind of experiences we want to have. And they're going to mean more as we collaboratively honor them is so interesting because it's such a deep root of like my improv background of yeah. like. You know what I mean? That idea of yes and, but I I would always like yell at not yell, but I would go, I would get on a soapbox and sort of rant at my students about like yes and is not about the literal words yes and it's about reorienting your value set and your paradigm such that when people share their little heart's dream with you, you don't swat it out of their hand. That that it is a reflexive attitude to go, oh, I honor that. And actually you having shared that vulnerable dream, maybe you do, maybe part of you does want to be a werewolf. Maybe part of you does want to be, as you're saying, like this other gender or this other orientation. Like the moment you show that to me, it's just deeply honored. And maybe we'll put it through adversity because that could be a cathartic thing for you, but it's truth that's honored right away. Um, yes. There's this thing that I, uh, that I heard 
many, many years ago that has stuck with me and like highly defines how I, I treat other people. Um, and it was that someone else had heard from their friend. Someone had gone to this person and, and laid out their life dream, just, you know, heart exposed. And like you said, you have that moment where someone can just be like, eh, oh, it's going to be too hard, blah, blah, blah. You know, that person, the only thing that they said is, okay, how do we make it happen? And tabletop is that how do we make it happen for a lot of people. It's, oh, I'm going to put my fantasy inside of this world. This is how we're going to make that dream happen. I'm going to have it in this space, you know? And that, that catharsis of someone going, oh, well, you made your character as strong as you possibly could be mathematically, and you want to see how easily you can kill this dragon? Awesome. If that's what makes you feel good, great. As long as everybody's having a good time, other people are getting what they want out of it, you know? Like, we're, we're here, there's a social contract going on. Everyone wants to get to do the thing, get to do the thing that they like, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, it's one of the reasons that slight sidebar, why like people have these individual classes that they drift towards, character archetypes, because it's like they want to feel unique and have something that says, this is the kind of role that I want to play or a place to start from or to uh, use and uh, and uh, divert or subvert from. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's very easily recognizable to be like, oh, well, like I'm going to be this barbarian. I want to be... Just like I want to be a himbo. Like everybody, cool. Yeah, I'm gonna be a himbo. I'm like, like cool. You're the himbo character. Have have a blast, you know. So it's that recognition, acceptance, and then action of being able to perform. Yeah, um, I think that's so beautiful, and and it's to to move us all the way back around the kind of full circle uh, uh, to talking about actual play. I think again, there there is something about that where you do have to marry these two extremes because again, the mm-hmm. on on a pure script level, like if you submitted even a very tight actual plays dialogue and action description as a screenplay, people would be like, you can cut this down to like half the page <laughs> length that it is right now. Yeah. But that's not what it's about. What it's about is is th- there is this alpha beta or whatever. There, there, there are these you're consuming the narrative and the meta narrative at the same time, right? That you're going look at this group of people extemporaneously honor something they know is going to bring their friend joy in the moment. Look at them navigate how to make their dreams come true when one of the collaborators are these little plastic rocks with numbers on it or a set of cards or 10 Mm -hmm. candles burning down around them. You know, like, look... Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Truth be told, I have been... I've been like hungering to play 10 Candles for a while. I have friends that have offered, I still haven't played it. It sounds so goddamn cool. Um, I uh, I talked with the person who made the game on Twitter. Like, <laughs> we're fans of each other. And they were like, I want to play 10 Candles with you. I'm like, I want to play 10 Candles with you. <laughs> Can we play? It was like, you know, Hell not happening yeah. this year. But uh, exactly. one thing I wanted to point out that from what you brought up is that like, uh, when you pull it into a show, it becomes this thing where it's like, we have, of course, people have to honor each other, but now it's also, we have to honor who's watching, you know, because mm-hmm. you're inviting them in. It's like, you also, you have this very different role, but you're a part of it, you know? And so uh, it's why people 
uh, not all actual plays flourish. And I think a lot of that, to me, comes from the fact that, one, there aren't as many people being put in the spotlight who are making stories that that uh, connect on those levels. That's not giving people what they want. People are doing kind of like, oh, well, I'm going to do this like as much generic, understandable sort of thing going on. Uh, but there are a lot of people who aren't doing that, who aren't, you know, I, either they don't know how to make the transition, they're not getting enough of the spotlight, whatever it happens to be. Uh, but that's a responsibility that people with shows have that have to go, okay, well, we're exposing ourselves, but we're also exposing you to all of this. And if we're going to be honoring each other, you're and other as well. And uh, that's why it's showing that it is possible to do that while still being a show that has a business behind it is something that I think is like, we can do this. Like you can get in that middle ground and explore. It's really exciting. It's really, really exciting. And it's really, I, I, it's, there's something fascinating too that, that you're pointing out here, which is like when you have a constellation of relationships, every one that you add makes the web of relationships exponentially more complicated. Like, Two people have one relationship. Three people have three relationships and four have like, you know, like the lines between them all become more and more complex, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, so the there's an interesting element where at a normal table, it's like in a game with a GM, not everyone has that, but you still you still have like the relationship of like player, player to player, player mm -hmm. to GM, your relationship as a player to the dice to like whatever the sort of like the manifestation of the system's will on the narrative uh uh which is in a way honestly like the game designer manifesting themselves at the table through the system they created and, oh, yeah. and off you know like in a way every single game of mutants in the night you have played at because you were storytelling through the mechanics that you offered up i wish uh, i could just pop up like a genie in everybody's yeah! game be like, look, I hope y'all have a great time. I like your haircut. Love each other. <laughs> Give that blessing and then, uh, uh, yeah, decorporealize. Um, there is that, there, so there's this like, when you add the audience into that, I think it becomes really interesting because now every element at the table has a new way that they interact. What's so funny for me coming again from an improv and performance background, because when I look at a lot of different actual plays, I think it's so interesting. You look at critical role and be like, okay, so this is a group of people whose commonality was they were all voice actors and they all work in video games and they have this ability to command this gravitas to their voice. And when Dimension 20 was starting, we were like, okay, we're all like comedy people. We're all like improv background. And the piece of advice I used to give to my improv students, which is, which is, I think, has served Dimension 20, but is also something very, that I recognize, I, I almost don't have it fully formulated as a theory in my head, but just to kind of vomit it out into the world. I used to tell people like, when you're doing stand-up comedy, you're directly speaking to the audience and you're forming a direct connection to them. When I'm doing improv, I'm putting as much effort in, as I can into having all of the audience melt away and not exist. Because the, the benefit that they're getting there is this voyeurism of seeing a piece of theater where that fourth wall is intact, of this moment of like, 
looking at um, a scene occur between two people where this thing is like preserved. However, I think that's true for improv. I think improv benefits the most that you can make the audience truly feel like a fly on the wall, where it's like mm -hmm. you're seeing a private moment. How cool for you that you saw these characters in this moment where they didn't acknowledge your presence at all. However, as I say that, I realize I'm contradicting myself because <laughs> spiral in. it's a spiral, baby. It's the it's it's we can we can talk ourselves out of anything. Um, but it's that moment of of I realize that in Dimension Twenty, I look to the camera all the time. A role comes up, and there are moments where like if I hit that nat one and I realize that my players are going to get away with something that they shouldn't have gotten away with because of a bad role. I look to the camera and I'm realizing as I'm saying it, that is me looking at the audience being like, you're sitting at the table with me. Can you believe this shit? Uh -huh. um, so I don't know how to square that. Like, like, does the audience want to be at the table or does the audience want to be a fly on the wall or do they want to zip and zap back and forth between them? And as an actual play show, do you have to make a decision one way or the other? Uh-huh. Just circle it. If you can't square it, circle it. That's <laughs> That's literally like my my thought concepts. Like I don't know, <laughs> I'm just gonna keep going and like we'll figure it out along the way. <laughs> when someone has an answer, we can talk about it. Yeah. Uh, like that's one of the that's one of the things you know. That's like that's an element to it that everybody gets to answer with their show, with their version of what they're bringing to the table, and that that's another reason why people we have so many. This is kind of what I'd posit towards like businesses. It's like all every single show is going to be extremely different from the other one. If you look at the the range of what we have that has been produced to where someone with that background could kind of start seeing it click, they're all extremely different from each other. Even the way that people decide to have their characters, whether people are dressed up or not, if they're they have big maps or if they're using digital or all sorts of things, and people have a lot of uh, because they're looking for that connection. Some people are like complete fourth wall. Some people are like hey, I'm talking to you, you know? Like, Jim Halpert looks at you every time, and you're like, thanks, Jim. Like, <laughs> there's so much that you can get out of it because, uh, kind of like we were saying earlier, the fantasy is, like, there's that level of inside the game, but as a, a viewer, that fantasy is also extremely different and broad. And you can watch a bunch of actual play shows that are even playing the same game. D&D does it all the time. And it's not like, oh, well, this person's playing D&D, so I don't have to watch that show. People get all these different things from all these different shows, and they're all going to be extremely unique because it's like it's like saying, oh, these six people who are having a conversation in this room are going to have the same conversation as these six people in that room. So, no, even if you say, hey, both talk about bananas, <laughs> they're not going to both end up in the same place, you know? Yes, so. absolutely. And I think that's true, too, of like the – yeah, like, like what – these different conversations that are happening in these different places are totally manifested by the people that are having them. And again, because it is this meta narrative, I think a lot about the fact that like, you know, like D and D as an example has like tried to, for so long, I feel like make a movie or a show that would be like the D and D show. But of course the problem you get into with that is it's like, yes, there's forgotten realms and Kryn and, and Planescape and all this stuff like that. But D&D doesn't have an IP. It's a system, right? It doesn't really have, like, so you get into this weird thing where it's like, anytime you try to tell the story of D&D, you're like, either we're talking about one of these campaign worlds, in which case it's just 
a kind of high fantasy Lord of the Rings-esque whatever. And then you're just like, well, are we really adapting D&D or are we adapting, you know, Dark Sun or whatever, uh, 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 Spelljammer? Right. Versus, can you bottle it? Can you bottle it? And the answer is usually like, or at least historically has been like a very big, like that's a hard thing to do. Because I think what you're talking about is this isn't, it's not a genre, it's a medium. Like tabletop is a medium. It's it's like, you could tell any kind of story in this space. And I think for these actual play shows, the ones that are really successful are the ones that find an ability to tell, without getting corny, to tell the story they're supposed to be telling, right? To like, to, to, to have this thing of like, what are our strengths? What kind of story should we tell? Um, you know, th there is that element of like, if your vibe is not this like high fantasy forgotten realms thing, don't mm -hmm. tell that. You know, when Dimension 20 first started, we were like, what's our first season going to be? And it's like, we talked a lot about like, we are comedians and our brand is comedy. We need, we, and there's two ways to be funny while you're playing a tabletop game. Um, make fun of the thing while you're doing it, which gets old fast all the time, or deeply commit to a world that it has an inherent comedic break built into the DNA of itself, right? So high school adventurers, right? Um, uh, shout out to Gorgug. <laughs> shout out to Gorgug. Oh, our beloved orc, uh, <laughs> uh, our beloved half orc. Now, um, uh, uh, was barbarian, now multi-class barbarian artificer. Uh, show me another barbarian artificer out there. I dare you. Um, uh, uh, Looking at, yeah, so like thinking about all this stuff that we've been talking about, I feel like the, the lessons for people that are watching this that are thinking about starting like actual plays of their own, I feel like the the pitfall, we've talked about the pitfalls of actual plays. I think you're putting it that way of like not getting, they're like they're not getting the spotlight for some reason. They're not being focused on. The stories are that they're telling are not resonant there. And I think obviously some of that is just being at the mercy of a large world with a lot of noise to cut oh, through yeah. where spotlight is not shared equally. But I think in terms of like, what are the factors under a person's control that they can do to manifest that? I think mm -hmm. it is that thing of like, don't feel like you have to tell a story that isn't your genuine vibe because that's what's in the market right now. It's like, mm -hmm. it's like, what's the story you can tell that's actually going to like, be something that like vibes with people. And I think also that moment of, um, like you're saying, far be it for me to say, but uh, when we make Dimension 20, we do acknowledge like, hey, we don't always follow our instincts to a T like we would in a home game. We do understand that we are trying to do a show for each other as well. Because I think that's the thing is, mm. it's, not like, it's not like we're being disingenuous, but, me and Lou like had a two person improv team and this like we it communicate in a different way there than we would if we were just like driving around in a car shooting the shit. It doesn't yeah. mean that it's disingenuous. It means that you know you're performing. You're in that performance mindset where you're adjusting your decision making rubric to go cameras are rolling. Let's make something for the benefit of other people. Right. Um, right. But then I think if you go too far to that that like entertainment module, like what are the pitfalls there? I guess the pitfalls of going too much on an entertainment module is you forget that the strength of the medium is that reaction gift thing. It is that like, no, your humanity and seeing you live in the moment is actually what sets this medium apart. Don't lose that. 
Yes, big time. And uh, that's the big fear that I that I've seen from a lot of people in like the in the actual play space. That's like, well, they're just gonna like write us a script, and we're just gonna have to do literally everything that they say, and we won't be genuine anymore. And just like, no, 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 <laughs> bring it in. <laughs> like, like it, 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 it's exactly the way that you specified. It's like, it's just like you're having a conversation, you, you, and your friend alone and then you're having a conversation in front of your parents your grandma your teacher uh just another friend like things are just different and it's guided a little bit differently and that's fine i mean if it's not fine with you that's also fine but <laughs> no I, yeah, I i i totally hear that fear but there is also uh, uh and i know that you will appreciate this because this is actually me uh uh mimicking something that I think is a, a line I love that Mercer uses all the time about like, you think this could be written? Like, yeah. do you think, like, <laughs> like. Uh, that makes me crack up every time someone's like, critical role is scripted. I'm like, have so you, you think something before? Yeah, like you think there's got, they got a fucking squad of soap. They do four hours a week, God, my friend. Man. Who's yeah. writing this? Like, you think these people who are like working voice actors would have time to memorize memorize four out or like or even if it was just a beat sheet? It's like no way. Like yeah. anyone who like if you've worked in a writer's room before, you know this this is not making anything easier. You don't do this to make your life easier. You do this because the nature of the product you're producing necessitates it. It is a it is a logistical uh, uh, and like end product call, not like <laughs> this would be. Whew, it's it's kind of a high praise thing uh, uh, of being like it's got to be scripted yeah. and it's like it super doesn't my friend but thank you. Um, Interesting uh, about that too is that a lot of the things that people point towards and say that's scripting and the reason that that sort of happens is just the fact that very openly people like the people in Critical Role talk to each other outside of the game about what their characters' drives are, what they want out of what's gonna happen. You don't get to know what's gonna happen next, but it's like. Hey, your character seemed to like this other character. Do you want to explore that romance? Do you like want me to have you and this character interact? Like whatever happens, happens. That's fine. That's stuff that GMs have the ability to do, and many GMs do. Is is everybody having a good time? Is there anything? Would you like to have a bottle episode? Yeah, let's have a bottle. You know, like that's fine. It doesn't mean that everything inside of that episode is now scripted. It's just you've made the decision on how you kind of want to process what's going forward. And as we talked about earlier, that's just being safe and honoring people continuously. And yes. that's why it's coherent, you know, and that coherency is something that you can also have without it, you know, putting pen to paper. Yeah, that's always it's always funny where people think the magic is, where you go like this one of my my I, I'm a bit whenever I've ever seen a magician, I am a huge buy into it at the top. I got weird looks going to a magic show like about a year and a half ago because I was audibly gasping at things <laughs> that weren't <laughs> at things that like weren't even the trick. It was like the dude said his name and I was like, <gasps> like I just was very, I get very into magic shows. And a friend of They're mine, very cool. 
They're very cool. They're very fucking cool. And a friend of mine, like, like, is the exact opposite of like calling out what he thinks the trick is while it's mm-hmm. happening, which drives me up the wall because I want to be like, like, obviously magic is not real, but the idea that you sight unseen and completely untrained think that you're gonna call what the trick is here in the sea by god the hubris man like uh uh in any case that thing of like yes something miraculous is happening but it's so funny to be like why do you think the miracle has to be that this is secretly scripted rather than just the other miracle which is the more obvious one which is these people have spent hours grinding out camaraderie trust and a Mm -hmm. sense of oneness and are able to produce the same end product through what they have stated as the way they're doing it which is this mutual respect and honoring each other yeah and people you have done that as well in your own home campaigns that's why matt mercer keeps saying you (laughs) not me you like your table's gonna be different don't think you're gonna be like us you also have a great uh group of people with which you have fun and all that yada yada and if you don't hey maybe go get one if you want that but or just watch the show you know whatever it is but it's not this thing that uh, maybe you know what maybe maybe people are like they're a little jealous because they they don't have that like they're not open communicators and they're like it's it's a very yeah well i think there is an element of having to like um uh one of the great things that's going back to the magician thing is Mm -hmm. that that i heard once one time a magician said that was great is anything that looks like magic is usually an individual that was so did something incredibly ill-advised which was spend hundreds of precious hours learning how to do a really like ill-advised thing right of of that like i'm gonna practice holding a quarter in my palm for hundreds of hours until i develop the muscle to be able to make a thing that you can't do and i think in that same way people are often looking for a trick rather than the like of like how do i get the thing and you're Uh like uh, like grind it out for hundreds of hours you know like like grind it out like do like build trust there's not a secret Mm -hmm. trick it's like just routine like uh hours into days into years of commitment to building community and having that thing and that and that is the trick uh but it doesn't sound glamorous but that's really what you have to do and Um, it's your version of that trick it's like the aspect that's why you know we watch different magicians right it's like what is your version of that trick what is your very cohesive group of people who you know have these skills and things that they like what is the best version of that of your your version of that uh and the comparing them is sort of you're like, oh, well, is this magician better than the other one? And it's like, well, I enjoy this one more than you do, and that one, you know, you enjoy more than I do. It's it's, it's a rough place to start comparing people. You can formulate more skill, but it's really about who's having fun at your table in the court of TRPG. A uh, hundred. I fully, fully agree. Um, we we have, have done such a deep dive into these uh, uh, topics I love so much that we have barely any time left to get to these fan <laughs> questions um uh but we'll we'll jump into some questions here um uh, uh this first one comes to us uh from filled with pie thanks filled with pie 
Um, hey, big fan. So I'm bilingual. And even though I've gotten more into campaigns in English, I'm really passionate about running a campaign in Spanish for all my friends back home. Any advice on how to combat this inherent language barrier slash lack of translation in the D&D community and any resources for international multi-language D&Ders? Uh, thanks, Filled with Pie, for this. First of all, I would just say, like, this is an extremely awesome and laudable goal. And I deeply hope that the resource is sick. <laughs> sick. Yes. Like, please uh, do that. That'd be so cool. Yeah, truly. Uh, I, I think that would be awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, uh, uh, four resources for this. Um, uh, the, I assume what you're asking are like, are there resources for these games in these languages so that you can throw stuff your players way who are maybe monolingual and not have to be a constant translator for them with these source books or materials that are maybe all in English. Um, uh, off the top of my head, um, uh, I would say like, if you're still on our discord, hopefully we can, uh, when this episode comes out, people that do know about this can holler because I have to have my head don't know, uh, of any Spanish language source books for like the bigger tabletop games uh, other than what a cursory Google search would yield. However, I have to imagine that there are definitely like, uh, like tabletop scenes within communities that are either bilingual or monolingual in a language other than English. Um, that would hopefully be able to hook you up here. Um, I know somebody. Hell yeah. Actually. Yeah, like I'll I'll tell them to jump into your Discord. I got you. <laughs> Ryan's got your back. Hell yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> does that person have like a public a public facing like Twitter or something we could shout out here, or or if we, if we wanted to shout them what out? What is their Twitter? It's uh, their name is Alistair. Mm -hmm. um, they're um, a designer that I met like two years ago, who's uh, from Mexico. Uh, we chat like every now and again. They're one of my favorite like TRPG people, just like flat out. And uh, they're definitely the person to talk to about that because they come to the U.S. a lot and have those kind of issues. It's like they're like super proficient in English. Uh, it's the the concept of how do you bring stuff back? Is there translated versions? All that kind of stuff. Very similar space. So I'll ask them and uh, I, I got to look up what their Twitter is. Mm. Hell yeah. yeah, go for it. Do it up. Yeah. Uh, oh, you're probably let's get yeah, let's get it in the episode. Why not? Um yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 hell yeah. Um uh, thank you so much for the question filled with pie. Um uh, I got it. It's uh uh Alistair G V, so that's at A L A S T O R G V. Amazing person. I couldn't recommend following them enough. Hell yes. Uh, it fills me with joy that uh, Orion had a specific answer for that question, because it's a very dope question, and I, I'm glad that there is, like, uh, an answer out there. Um, uh, this next question comes to us from Amber Dahl. Thanks, Amber. Um, I'm a therapist interested in incorporating TTRPGs into play therapy. Uh, what is your or guests' experience in using role-playing games in a therapeutic setting? And what have you learned about crafting therapeutic narratives? Huge fan of Adventuring Academy. So excited to see its return. Uh, big old disclaimer, I am not a mental health professional. Me either. Uh, <laughs> uh, so take all of this with a huge tablespoonful of salt. Um, uh, look, I would never, I don't actually, like, I, I, I have a problem personally with saying anything I've ever done is, like, capital T therapeutic. Mm. However, 
everyone also is responsible for like like taking care of themselves and practicing self-care and of caring for their friends and loved ones and so i think it's not uh controversial to say that like oh we all do care for one another and our friends and i think that storytelling is a huge part of our diet in how we understand our place in the world. I, again, I would be very careful not to say that any of this is actual capital T therapy, which you should only be dealing with people that are actually certified and have the training to be able to do that, uh, or, or at least yeah, have the requisite training. Um, uh, but that all of that being said, in my experience, um, uh, I, I won't talk about therapy, but I will talk about personal growth. And I will say that, um, I have experienced a tremendous amount of growth and learned a lot of very important life lessons from tabletop specifically. Um, and I think that there, you know, I talked about this with um, uh, a, an awesome uh, friend of the show. I talked a little bit about this with B. Dave Walters, actually, who has two wonderful kids that I've played D&D with on a like family-oriented D&D stream. Um, there's a lot of tabletop that trains you in these soft skills that we don't think about as being skills because they're not like domain specific. But if you want to get into stuff just like making choices that you can't walk back from, think about how high the stakes are in doing that in your day-to-day -day life and how D&D &D, like recreates that, right? Um, I think that there's a lot to be gained in terms of personal growth from tabletop in having a fictional space to get used to making choices that are at an emotional level feel high stakes and dealing with the consequences of them um, in a way that your actual life is not ruined because you took a big risk that didn't pan out. Um, I think there's a lot of personal growth that comes from that. Um, weird tangent. I remember this uh, this very intense thing we had. I, we had a, 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 at our LARP camp um, a camp nurse who came in who was a first responder and talked about our LARPs. Uh, they were like a paramedic, right? And they came in as our as our like. Um, camp nurse that summer and sort of saved our life when we, our other camp nurse had like come out. So it was someone that didn't have any ties to LARPing space and was just like, person who worked as a paramedic, showed up, didn't know any nerd stuff at all. And then mm -hmm. we were like, do you want to be a bard and wear a tunic? And they were like, <laughs> they were like, what the hell? And I talked to this dude by the hot cocoa machine one night after they'd been at camp and been through an adventure game for the first time. And they were like, they were like, what you are doing is incredible first responder training. And I was like, what? We're running around with foam swords. And they were like, the things that we get trained in are you hear a scream in the woods, do you run away from it or run towards it? You've trained a bunch of 11 year olds to run to the screen <laughs> through the dark woods. Like you've trained them to like a loud noise goes off and they leap into action. And they were like, those skills whether you are wearing a tunic or not, like there are parts of your, I guess what I'm saying in terms of this question is, there are parts of your brain that learn lessons 
regardless of if those lessons got learned in a game or not. And I think that is something very beautiful about tabletop that, again, I won't go so far as to say it's therapeutic, but we'll say there's a lot of personal growth from that. I also want to, I, I've been trying to find this person while you were talking. There is uh, someone I know who uh, works in therapy. They're a grad student, uh, do drama therapy, who also are in tabletop role-playing games. You can follow them on Twitter at R-Y-O-M-A-S-A, like Rio Massa. Um, their name is John. They are. They talk about this stuff. Very interested in these things. And uh, I know there are a couple of other people off top. I don't remember who they are, but there are a couple other people who are exploring that same sort of thing as well. And uh, I'm really excited to see what comes out of that because I know that I've heard a lot of positive things from those people. Um, hell yes. Um, uh, this uh, next question comes to us from Emma. Thanks, Emma. Um, I don't know if you've dealt with this at the table, but how do you deal with players who are being disrespectful towards a character? For example, respecting the player's pronouns, but not the character, or making a character choice that makes another player uncomfortable. Uh, thanks for the question, Emma. Um, Punch him. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, you're getting the straight advice from Ryan. Cold cock them, one straight to the chin ought to get the job done. Thanks for the question, <laughs> Emma. Moving on. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like this falls under the rubric, uh, again, of probably, like, communication at the table. And and forgive me, Emma, for reading into your question, but the, the implied in your language here is kind of like the implication that this is an ongoing issue at which point i think it becomes okay to acknowledge that there might be uh, a lack of of um congruity in the values of this individual with the others at the table which is some real like hr talk for this person might be a jerk and doesn't get along with you and the other people at the table and that's always a very hard judgment call to make but a judgment call that must be made i think like there is a point of no return right um yeah how do you deal with like an ongoing issue of disrespect at the table for a character um, pull them to the side Hey, so and so. Mm -hmm. We've been having a great time playing with you. <laughs> Hit him with the easy first, you know, like loosen him up a little bit. Yeah, real mob and boss. Yeah. <laughs> when your character did XYZ Nat 20, everybody was like, what? So amazing. Look at you. <laughs> it's just that sometimes, especially with this particular character, it seems out of character for you and your character to be behaving in this particular way. Don't know if that's a character choice, but we can steer that into a place of comfort for everybody where we'd rather not go in that direction. And we can keep having these great moments together. Good for you. Good for me. Bye. <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> I think, yeah. It's very, it's very interesting because we, we do, we get questions on the podcast a lot about like, what do we do with problem players? And I, I don't want to be mm -hmm. glib because, you know, the things that are often left unsaid are like, and this person is my roommate or they're my cousin or <laughs> I can't 
I can't get rid of this person. This person popped out of a cursed mirror and now they're always in the same room as me and I can't get rid of them. I don't know what the circumstances of your life are that maybe makes having a, a very real conversation about leaving. Also, I mean, there's a lot of anxiety. Like, look, I don't want to be glib. Like, you know, like, like I have anxiety if I have to like call in to order pizza over the phone. <laughs> you know, like, hi, I would like a pizza. You know, like, anxiety is real and interpersonal anxiety is real. So I don't want to make light of that for anybody. However, if it gets to the point where it's really threatening the sanctity of the game, you know, like I think you are, whether or not you, you are going to have an easy time doing it, you are well within your rights to just say your values don't align with the values of the other people at the table. We should amicably part ways, right. And have that terrifying, uh, you know, RPG breakup. Uh, goodbye. Um, that all being said, I think that, like, and again, it doesn't seem like this is the case with your question. This seems like it's a more pointed disrespect. However, if a person is is actually being very respectful as a player and they are trying to play, for whatever reason, a disrespectful character, I think that's a conversation you can have of like, hey, your character's disrespectfulness is making the other players at the table not have a good time. Can we expedite some growth on this character's part where in world they learn their lesson and choose to change? Like, I think that obviously we we love redemption arcs and storytelling. I think that when it comes to character pronouns, that's very charged for people, IRL, and having a character go on that journey is just maybe not fun for anyone at the table, maybe talk that out. But redemption arcs for like a character that was this death knight that has now been like adopted by the good guys and they're learning to, you know, have this like, they are now uh, fighting against the armies of the undead and they've turned against their vampiric overlord. Like we all know those stories and love them. But I think that when it comes to that IRL shit that's very charged and hurtful to people, like if that is what's going on, it doesn't sound like it is, but if that's what's going on, see if you can expedite that character growth and enlightenment, like now <laughs> to like not make that table unsafe for the people who are playing at it. Shape um, up or ship out. <laughs> that's and, it. And again, to go off of Orion's first point, when you throw a punch, it's the first two knuckles. All right. It, the hip. It's really about the hip. You keep your arm in and, you got to turn, and then just you you just let the the arm go. Like yeah. think about your hips and your shoulders, your hips and your shoulders. Like yeah, that's, those are where the strongest muscles are coming from, and that's where the force is coming from. So uh, uh, again, uh, a great question, and hope that <laughs> hope that helps. Uh, awesome. I think we got time for maybe one or two more here. Um, uh, ba -ba -ba, let's see what we got here. Um, uh, uh, oh, this is great. Uh, this one comes to us from Rebecca. Uh, Brennan, you mentioned that you use sensitivity consultants as part of DMing for D20. I was wondering if you could give some insight into how you use them for characters, for campaign themes, for triggering topics. Uh, and for those who might not be running media products, do you have advice for resources DMs can find to incorporate a variety of perspectives into their worlds? Hell yes, Rebecca. There's, uh, uh, I guess the answer is like all of the above is, if, you know, these resources exist for all of these things. Um, uh, quick disclaimer, I am incredibly privileged to have been able to work for a company that was immediately all thumbs up and green lights about Dimension 20 
using sensitivity consultants in their work earlier on in the process. Orion and I worked for the first time together on the first season of The Unsleeping City, which was shot at this point like two years ago. Um, uh, and that was oh the first God. time. Is that, is that fucked up? Is that, is that my time point? is a thing. <laughs> it keeps ticking steadily away. Um, uh, but yeah, Orion and I worked for the first time two years ago, and Orion consulted uh, uh, for the Unsleeping City season one, which was a season that I was adamant about using sensitivity consultants for because we had diverse castmates in the cast who were making characters in a setting that is based on the real world. And it was like, you know, Zach and Lou were going to themselves have a black PC and a Japanese American PC that we're gonna have family members like in and around the city. So it was this moment where I was like, oh, there's no way I like launch into this as a white DM without hitting people up to talk about how to do that ethically. And now we're at a point where Dimension 20 has expanded even more uh, to the point where now we have like sensitivity consultants come in to talk about seasons, sensitivity, uh, sensitivity, uh, sensitivity consultants coming in to talk about whether we should do seasons or not, like early, early in the process, um, uh, during where you we're working with uh, consultants. And thankfully now, like what Orion, one of Orion's like jobs on Dimension 20 has been to come in now in the post process, like as we're watching these episodes down, um, uh, which is rad as hell. Uh, and then, of course, to, uh, uh, before I kick it over to Orion, like a bunch of resources do exist, even if you're running a home game and you don't have a budget to like hire people. Thankfully, there's like we just had Jennifer Kreshmer on talking about the, the accessibility toolkit. And oh, there's she's a great. Oh, she's incredible. We had an awesome time with her uh, uh, on Adventuring Academy. Uh, there's a zillion awesome resources for your home game as well, without you having to like have a show budget to hire full-time people, et cetera. Um, uh, Orion, uh, what are the, the uh, yeah, like what are all the things that, that one can use sensitivity consultation for, both in creating media products and just in like, their home games? I went back to the internet. I found the, like, luckily, the, the thing is that there are resources. Um, the place to start, I feel like, go on Google, look up TTRPG Safety Kit. It should be the first thing on there. There's a bunch of, of things about it. Uh, a friend of mine, actually two friends of mine, Lauren and Kiana, wrote out a safety toolkit that they didn't just write by themselves. They took a bunch of safety tools that people have put in their games and have designed over the years and put them all together inside of a document, a living document that does change, upgrade, add things. Um, it's not into the specifics of like, oh, what about uh, talking about this gender or culture or race? Uh, but it's a place to start about how to start having conversations and having uh, setting up language and boundaries and all that kind of stuff. It's super, super helpful. I probably use like half of that stuff in real life without thinking about it. It's just great stuff, really good solid place to start. Hell yeah, um, I think that's awesome. Um, looking up those resources online, there there is so much free stuff available. And I really wanna sort of striate this out into if you have a home game, it's like, you know, you, you there is no sort of like budget with you to work for. There are so many of these free resources available. Um, there's a lot of great like Tumblrs on, there's one that I really love, which is Medieval POC on Tumblr, which is all just about like, it's a really 
dope Tumblr that has a ton of stuff about all the different POC that lived throughout European history. So that mm. when people, you know, are like, hey, why aren't why aren't there any people of color in Westeros? You can actually say like, hey, if you're talking about the historicity of a fantasy land, which first of all, why are you doing that? But let's say you did want to do that. Here's all the ways in which that's fucking ahistorical, right? Like, look at all of this, this you know, data examples we have. So there's there's a, a tremendous, tremendous wealth of resources online. And not only are the resources online, there's also resources that catalog those resources. So if you're kind of thinking like, but where would I start? I just Google like, how do I be good? Like, no, you can really look up, might not be a bad idea to Google that, but it's, it, there are resources that catalog these. So you can have an explainer or, or have a starting point um, from which to begin to like, educate yourself because because it, it's really is just a process that the sooner you get started on the safer your table becomes mm -hmm. i would say uh, now caveat as soon as money starts getting involved meaning you are making a media product of some time you're making an actual play i would say look even if you're doing a little Kickstarter, an Indiegogo, your your rates are small. As soon as money starts getting exchanged, I think you have an ethical responsibility to hire consultants and hire sensitivity people for your project. And if it's not in your budget, you've miscalculated your budget, right? Like you, you need to like go back and figure out a way to make this a priority because as soon as your tabletop project really starts metamorphosizing into any kind of business entity, I think that you do have an ethical responsibility to find the space within the project to bring people on board who are going to have um, eyes on that. And that's like, I think that's very significant. There are just so like ha having worked with the sensitivity consultants I have over the past like two and some odd years, uh, the amount, uh, there are very few things that Dimension 20 has done that have yielded as many incredible positive results that have shaped the show in such meaningful ways as the awesome consultants we've worked with. I promise you, even if you have a very small indie company indie indie pro product you're making it will be worth your while to hire sensitivity people that do this work they will make your project so much better by their presence in it uh can't recommend highly enough and think you probably have to um that's my two cents there um uh looking at other questions um i probably have time for one more um uh hold on here what you got what do i got what do i got um wind up wind up here we go um um let's go with this one this feels very fun um uh uh how about uh we'll go from one from coriander here coriander um uh Next question comes from Coriander. How do you navigate players who play to break the DM? How can you make sure that your boundaries and needs as a DM are respected to during play? Um, especially for players who might think that they can wear you down to get what they want. What are the options when it feels like it's better to cut your losses and end a campaign early? Um, uh, so, uh, uh, Coriander, thank you for your question. Um, uh, this sounds like a very antagonistic relationship. 
I I don't like it. <laughs> that's how I'll put that. <laughs> I'm stupid like that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, listen, I feel like Orion can speak to this a lot too from from like having a familiarity with a lot of GM-less games. Let me be very clear. The, the DM, the GM, the storyteller is another friend at the table. And I've had to navigate this a lot for myself. You are not the boss of your friends. And what that means is, one, don't power trip yourself. You are amongst peers. Number two, you should not be treated like this, like, uh, you know, person in the ivory tower who is Must like... Dethroned God. <laughs> yeah, like, it's very funny because I've often talked to people about that, like, like there are a lot of people who unfortunately do, are like gatekeepy kind of individuals who do like power trip on being in that GM position. However, there is nothing within the position, uh, like, yeah, Dungeon Master is an unfortunate name because really what you're doing is, like, the job is, a, I find an emotional affinity to DMing a lot more like making dinner for everybody who's going to come over and you're all going to have a nice dinner together. It's like, yes, I am singled out as having an individual set of tasks here, but that is coming from a place of love and service. There is no part of me that is the boss here. Um and if people are foisting that position upon you, you should uh, tell them they're being meanies and that they should stop. Yeah, you don't have any responsibility to put up with it. Like, I don't know how you feel particularly, but mm -hmm. I know that in some situations, people feel like, oh, well, the campaign will die because this person will be gone. Uh, they might not be able to be replaced for whatever reason it is. Mm -hmm. It's not your responsibility to keep it alive. Well, it's your responsibility on your part to do your part. That person's not doing their part to keep it alive. Yes. You can have whatever you're losing from, from that campaign ending, you will gain so much more in playing with people who don't do that. Who actually, like we said way earlier on, they're honoring you, they're established boundaries, they're there to share and... Uh, expand on your fantasies, not go, I'm going to try and beat you up with numbers. Yes. I think that's really, really was. It just sounds like a mess, uh, Coriander. It sounds like a dang mess. Um, and again, you, I think there's this, there's this weird thing in the world. This is a big, broad point that maybe I'm way off base on. But one of the things I notice a lot, especially with like younger folks on the internet, when questions get submitted, is there's this there's this expectation in interpersonal relationships like we're not allowed to see people and their intentions unless we like get it in writing. It does, does it make sense where it's like it's like you're, mm -hmm. people being like like um every time I hang out with this person I feel really bad about myself and they do things that seem like they're trying to undermine but I haven't found a signed document that they wrote saying that they're trying uh. to fuck with me so am I allowed to and it's like yeah if you get a bad vibe there's no court of law here like the bad vibe is the proof that's the proof you need mm -hmm. um uh, to to like. Uh, say like you don't need any like evidence of wrongdoing if these people are constantly making a negative gaming experience for you 
it actually doesn't matter if they're being willfully malicious. The proof is in the pudding. If you're not ever having a good time playing with these people, I think that's the that that's it, that might be the proof. Um, uh, but yeah, I think like uh, wearing it down to get what they want. Um, yeah, it sounds like there might be some weird status stuff going on here. I would say, I think overall, for Coriander specifically, like make sure that you're with people who respect you. And mm -hmm. if after communicating to these people, it continues, I think, yeah, maybe do cut your losses. Um, but for everyone as well, I would say, take care of your GM. Like GMs, do not be tyrants, that's very clear. And then on the flip side of that, I notice in a lot of gaming groups, there's weird stuff where it will it will be like, has scheduling your sessions or like getting snacks fall into the GM as just like a de facto task that like, of course they're going to do that because they're, you know, they're like the, the parental figure in this weird thing. Don't let things like fall into that. Like, like, you know, like offer up, like there's nothing about being a PC that shouldn't mean that like you're the one scheduling the sessions or you're the one like organizing what what the food is going to be um i guess now that we're all in quarantine there's not like a uh, like no, not a pizza everybody we're going to order the same pizza place <laughs> that is my decision i have spoken i have spoken um, uh, one of the things that could really help you out is safety tools because safety tools aren't just about things that happen inside of the game it's setting up boundaries parameters and expectations before you even start playing and What's helpful about that is it weeds out people like that very quickly. If someone isn't down with safety tools, they feel like being unsafe. Like they don't care about other people's safety. Mm -hmm. uh, if people don't respect your boundaries, like way before you get into a game, you're like, oh, well, as a GM, I like these things. I don't like these things. What do you like and dislike? And they're like, I'll mess with all of that. <laughs> Boom, out the door. Like that can really help people not end up in these situations down the line. It's just, it's it's another relationship. Set up boundaries, have communication. There are tools, keep like go on Google TTRPG safety kit. It's really good. Uh, but there are tools that can help you set up these situations and like keep yourself in a space where you can keep like doing that fantasy and having a good time. Yeah, that, I think that's great. And I love that too. There's some, there's some kind of like a little dating advice thing in there as well of like, <laughs> Of tr but truly of like having that, like having the thing come up that lets you know that you and someone else are not compatible, that's not a failure, that's a success. You found the problem early. Like that's a good thing. Um, you shouldn't be looking to avoid coming into the knowledge that you and another individual are not compatible. That's some shit that's really good to know early on. Mm -hmm. um, I love that. Uh, holy moly. Uh, an hour and a half has flown by. Um, uh, Orion, what a lovely damn conversation uh, with hey. some r really useful topics. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Happy to be here. It was a great conversation. Hi, everybody. And I hope you enjoyed it. I didn't talk your ear off too much. I d highly doubt it. I think everyone's ears have been talked on, if anything. People have their heads straight with all this yeah. good damn advice. Um, and again, uh, from both of us, from the hips, shoulders squared up, mm -hmm. first two knuckles. Uh, 
real secret, honestly, is the toes. You, you strengthen your toes and your punch gets significantly stronger. I'll just leave you with that. That's fine. I'm done. I love in the first revamp where in the first in the first Adventure Academy where it was it was like two Dimension Twenty people. We ended uh-huh. with punching advice and how for people for people to. Bringing it back, baby. Uh, Lots of love from us here at Dimension 20. Thanks for watching Adventuring Academy. We'll catch you all next time. Peace. Peace.